If you're looking for a fling, or a lifetime, or a well I'm free Friday anyway kind of thing, find it on Bumble. Fall in love with dating. Welcome to Finger Food, empowered by Bumble. I'm your maitre d' Stacey O, and I'm here to serve you intimate conversations around sexuality and pleasure. On the menu is a selection of heart-to-hearts with people who vulnerably share their stories, insights, and perspectives. This podcast is about sex and so much more. We explore connection, letting go of judgment, and accepting ourselves exactly as we are. Let's dine. In this episode, I chat to Rob Tennant. Rob is a multidisciplinary creative specialising in film photography. His style is intimate and raw. He is a storyteller as well as a listener and is passionate about diversifying the fashion world and lifting Q-pop voices and talent. In this intimate conversation, Rob talks about his journey with facing the trials and tribulations of being queer in a conservative private boys' school, gender literacy, the do's and the don'ts in this ripe world of cancel culture, and how listening and being curious is the greatest gift you can give yourself and those around you. It's great to have you here at the table. Let's get started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So welcome, Rob. I'm so honored to have you here as my first guest on Finger Food. Thank, Thank you, you for so having much me. for coming. Oh, I'm excited. Yay. So let's just dive straight into it, mm-hmm. shall we? Mm-hmm. Okay, so where, first and foremost, where are you from and what's your family background? I was born in Cambodia and I lived there for about seven years and then I moved to St. Lucia for two years, which is in the Caribbean, and then Papua New Guinea. And then I moved to New Zealand when I was 12 and jumped straight into boarding school. So if I were to describe where I was from, I would say (laughs) Cambodia because 
I think that's the place that nurtured me the most and mm. that was the culture that I was brought up in and my mum is Buddhist and my dad spent almost 20 years there so I think that's where we call home and before we moved here the goal was to always go back yeah and I think just the way of life here was more in New Zealand was just so much more appealing to dad hmm. and mum and so then they decided that it was safer than being in Papua New Guinea for all of my um, teen years so then my dad remained in Papua New Guinea and sent my mum and I here and we bought a house in Natia which is a tiny, mm. tiny town. Wow. And then I jumped straight into boarding school and she just chilled out in Natia for till this day. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. So your mum is Cambodian. My mum is Vietnamese. She had a very, like, colourful backstory where she was running away from an abusive husband who was threatening to just make her life hell and make my sister's life hell. Mm. So she moved to Cambodia to just get away from all of that with my sister. And then my dad was having a really rough time with my other siblings, his, um, my half-siblings, and his marriage was not going well. And he then had the opportunity to move to Cambodia and he pretty much started a completely new life. Wow. And it was a secret to everyone until... Yeah, his wife back home found out and then they got divorced <gasps> after my parents had like been living together for two or three years. And my mom and him, yeah, just met at like a party and hit it off. Oh. But they were both at the time when they met, they were already, they were dating different people. But once they were single again, well, single, my dad was still married, but like mm. single enough to be together in Cambodia than they did and opened a sports bar that lasted for about seven years called Kim's Kiwi Bar and it was in like the Where central main city of Phnom Penh and then they had me and we lived there for yeah seven years. Wow. So she they were all they were both running away from something when they found each other and then they created the life that I was born into. Wow, that's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Cambodia is actually where I got divorced, so it has quite, <laughs> significant, <laughs> it's quite significant meaning to me. Maybe it's the place everyone goes to I get divorced. I <laughs> um, Awesome. So I'm interested to know, um, what are your pronouns and, and what do they mean to you? My pronouns are he, him, and it's been a... A journey to get there. I'm a cis gender man and mm. I going through high school I was very much told and brought up in a very binary way. So I was told you're you have this genitalia, so this is how you identify, which I had no issue with until I started to grow up and I was 18 and I was playing with things that were meant for girls and then I thought because I'm gay maybe I'm trans or maybe I'm non-binary mm. and I just started to go down this hole of like self-expression and self-discovery and once I did all of that and came out the other end I realized that I 
do identify with the binary and the gender that I was assigned at birth mm. and that without the exploring I wouldn't know so much about my sexuality and my preferences and whatnot and my style but yeah definitely just sit like I was completely I've never had gender dysphoria mm. and it was more just a road that I went down to see if maybe there were facets of myself that were a bit more fluid and I think there are and I think for a long time I just fluctuated between gender with mm. self-expression but at my core I felt definitely like a cis man so I think the way I present is very different but the way you present is not the same as the way you identify and mm. I can be very masculine presenting and then feminine presenting and that still doesn't take away from my gender. Like, it's so different for everyone else. But for me, yeah, I've been very comfortable and secure in my cisgenderness. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's been a journey, but an easy one. Like, mm. out of the multiple different other experiences that I've heard from this, I was, I wouldn't say lucky, but like, it is easier when you're born into a binary, heteronormative world that mm. I can tick off one of those things, mm. which is being cis. And heterosexuality was the part that... It's even hard for me to say that word, heterosexuality, <laughs> because I don't ever say it. But like that was the only thing that then I was like... Mm this is not me. I don't fit mm. in this category and I'm not white. So I didn't fit there. And I wasn't, I'm half white and half Asian. So then I never fit in anywhere. Like mm. back home, I was the white kid. And then here I was the Asian kid. So there was no, like, I never just was one thing. And that's a lot of mixed children go through the same thing where we feel like we don't fit the mold of oh, but you're too white and you're too Asian or whatever, mm. like, then you have to navigate this racist world that we live in and it's just like, and then being queer and then it's just a whole bunch of things. But out of, like, in hindsight and looking back, I think my experience was very easy. Mm. But maybe because I'm kind of just, like, someone that deals with their problems very head-on. So I deal with it in a day and then it's done and it's sorted. So like, I don't like to dwell and I don't think I've had the the worst experience. Hardships, yes, but hmm. not with gender and sexuality. Yeah, not, not the hardest. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like the pronouns conversation has only sort of come into like well my specific mm -hmm. awareness if not like people in my kind of generation's awareness in mm -hmm. the last sort of five years or mm -hmm. so and it's becoming more normalized it's interesting to hear you talk about feeling like as if you weren't sure about your pronouns mm. because you dressed a certain way mm. and you thought well I feel quite feminine but I mm. also feel quite masculine mm -hmm. and actually that doesn't have anything to do with my gender mm. and and how I actually choose to identify mm -hmm. in the world and I think that's really an interesting point for those that are wanting to learn more mm. about pronouns and the yeah. meaning of them and I think we didn't really have the language that we do now 
ten years ago to express and explain our thinking of this like scale that we fit on, and that the two opposites were masculine and feminine, and then people could exist in between. We just didn't have the language to、mm. make it easier for the people that do exist in between, and far. Too often we assume what a non-binary person would look like, or how a trans person should identify, and that's、mm. in our minds. We assume if you're a trans man, you would then go to the complete polar opposite side of the the scale and be super masculine presenting. Whereas, like the same, we assume for trans women or non-binary people, that's where. Being non-binary is you exist in this state of in-betweenness, and you can、mm. pull from like one and pull from the other, and how you identify is not related to how you present yourself physically. It's how、mm. you feel inside, and that was a journey that yeah, I've learned from so many trans people that just because you dress this way, you don't have to like identify as something that. Isn't how you identify with.、Mm. Like I'm probably not the most, like, I haven't. I I am cisgender, so I can't speak to the non-binary and trans experience. But this is what I've learned through years of being surrounded by queer people, and this is what I've heard and been taught. So this is what I move forward with the knowledge that they've passed to me, and then I tell. Stories on behalf, or tell stories about, just so that we can get people thinking. And then,、mm. after people listen to this, or after our conversation, you're going to go home and Google something because you're curious and you want to learn more and you want to navigate how to move respectfully. And I think that's what is good about having conversations like this: is it、mm. encourages people to want to know and want to learn. Because you would never click on this podcast if you didn't. Want to know, or if you weren't actually curious about it? I think that's a really, really beautiful point around remaining curious、mm-hmm. and being in a sense of humility with your curiosity and、mm-hmm. and asking questions, but、mm-hmm. also doing your own research and、mm-hmm. understanding what questions are appropriate、mm-hmm. and and not to ask. And I feel like it's a lot in this day and age, especially、mm-hmm. with anyone from my generation,、mm-hmm. like a millennial and above.、Mm-hmm. There's a huge piece around like fear of saying the wrong thing, and、mm-hmm. I'm sure that exists. For- Everyone in this current climate of cancel culture,、mm. but I know a lot of the people that are in my social circles and people、mm. I talk to about this conversation.、Mm. It's like, oh, I don't know enough about it, so I'm just not going to say anything at all, or、Sweet. I'm scared to ask those questions. And I mean, I've just started diving into a year of holistic sexuality,、mm. and like、mm. one of the first workshops that we did was around gender and literacy, essentially, mm. Mm. and. I think like what I understood was that it's really hard to put yourself into someone else's shoes if you haven't lived that experience,、mm-hmm. and also how many assumptions we're making、mm-hmm. around the place. And one of the beneficial exercises that we did was tuning into what do you like about the gender that you identify with.、Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm a heterosexual woman,、mm-hmm. and I like. Dressing up and putting on makeup and mm, putting mm, on clothes、mm-hmm. and like talking about sex and boys and all、mm, the things yeah, that are like、yeah. typically、yeah. quote unquote feminine or、mm-hmm. whatever. 
things that actually I don't identify with being a woman is this whole societal norm that we have to have children by a certain age Mm. or that we should dress a certain way or that all the slut shaming that Mm. goes on or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then being in the shoes of like, oh my God, what I don't identify with. And I'm in this position where I'm actually heterosexual. So there's a privileged aspect of that. There's like a feeling of, oh, wow, I can't even imagine or comprehend what it would be like to be in a body where you don't identify with what society perceives your gender Mm. to be. Mm. And actually coming from that lens, just being curious. Yeah, I think queer people and people of the trans experience don't owe anyone anything about their life or Mm -hmm. their history or their like journey but I think finding those people that are completely open and transparent and willing to teach and willing Mm -hmm. to because there are people that can come up to me and say oh what is this about or what is this for or can you speak about your coming out and I don't want to because I don't know you but if you're my friend or if Mm -hmm. you're in a position where I feel safe to tell you tell you these things about my life then that's where the growing and the learning starts it's like Mm. we should never expect queer people or people of any certain experience to answer our questions that is completely their right to not answer whatever they don't want to answer but I think saying hey can I like I have friends that know that they can come to me whenever they think something is off or if they are about to say something and they just want to run it by me and say, hey, is this respectful? Is this correct? I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel excluded. And most, like, checking and just being aware is very important in itself. Mm. And you, your intention is there. And with cancel culture, people act on the action that's been done. You've done this and it's harmed so-and-so and more often than not the intent was never to harm anyone but unfortunately the action did so that is something that you have to now take accountability for so I think separating intention and action it's very important but then Mm. yeah like having a friend that you can I mean it all comes down to having a diverse group around you and that's not easy for everyone because obviously like I went to an all boys school where the parents of the these boys went like dated each other when they were in school and then now they are friends with the same friend group that they were friends with in school and now their kids are friends and it's just this eco chamber of whatever demographic they are and they don't have like Pacific Islander people in their friend groups or Asian people or black people so they aren't open to hearing these experiences and then when someone does open up they don't know how to react because they think I'm not privileged I've been through so and so and it's we need to find a better word other than privilege because it brings this tone of like you have it easier which and then it makes you defensive because obviously I've been through my hardships and I'm this and I'm that but The defense is what we need to get rid of and Mm. opening our ears and listening is where we need to begin because there are things that you you don't do. You have white privilege, but some people don't even realize that they have white privilege. So then they get defensive and say, that's not a privilege. And once you 
dig deep into it, then you realize, oh, it's actually because at, when I was born, white, cis, and straight, I already had my foot in the door. And for other people, we have to break that door down or open that door or like be brought in. And it's just a very, it's immediately you had a easy way in and we didn't. And we're saying that we didn't, but then you're trying to invalidate it. It's like, it's a whole very interesting topic. And I feel like I could speak about it and ramble forever, but like, I could listen to you it, forever. <laughs> it could like it all it comes down to is diversifying your friend group, your workplace, your dating pool. Like put effort into listening and fi- mm. and going to panels where all people of color are speaking or go to movies that are told and written by queer people of color or people of color and women of color and just like do your due diligence to listen and make an effort into hearing stories from refugees or stories mm. from like immigrants that moved here and like don't be so linear with the stories that you listen to and don't be so like expand expand your knowledge and your friend group and your conversations and there are going to be uncomfortable conversations where you actually aren't required to say anything mm. you're not there because we don't we don't need to hear your voice. You're not there to speak about your experience. You're there to listen to someone else's. And I feel like people inject themselves and say, "Oh, I went to this thing and like I want to like make it about themselves and it's not." And I think the there's power in saying nothing. Mm. Because you don't have to you're not required to say anything. I've been to so many films and speeches and talks where I just don't speak for about an hour because I'm learning and I'm thinking and often my mind is already thinking about something that they said that now I can't wait to go home and research and google like I didn't grow up with many black people in my life at all because I was in Cambodia and then I moved here. I mean, I had I was surrounded by Caribbean people in St. Lucia, but it was very much I was different. So I was never really embraced, but it was beautiful to watch the culture and like to learn how that how their history has been like painful and then mm. Papua New Guinea, they have like they're still going through a very rough time like in West Papua, it's just go home and google it because it is it's dark and mm. being open and hearing new things and i feel like in this day and age we often are just so we're just over consuming which makes us desensitized to what's going on and i think we need to take a step back go be alone don't be on your phone don't read but then come back with the correct energy and the willingness to actually learn and study and educate. Oh, yes. Rambling done. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. That oh, was of course of expansion because that does require sitting with yourself and sitting in the discomfort of yeah. of what you don't know. Mm-hmm. It and is it is very uncomfortable and I have been 
in that position as well where I sit at a dinner table where I have to like I just listen I'm quite mm. a I'm a very quiet person when I don't know what to say and what to mm. do in certain situations but I often just like to listen and chime in when it's relevant to me but not like I've never really been the person to command a table or a room and make it about myself I actually hate anything to do with me being the center of attention so mm. I think it works perfectly that I just sit and listen but yeah it's an uncomfortable and uneasy experience when you're in a room with people that have such different experiences and you don't know what to say because you can't even understand or comprehend what they've been through and I think that's where it comes back to is you don't have to say anything mm. you just say I don't understand like I've never been through gender dysphoria or I've never had that level of racism and discrimination and prejudice that's been done against me and I don't understand but I am willing to learn and I can try to understand and I will understand soon but it's just an experience I have not been through and I can't pull from anything so I'm just happy to listen mm. and I completely validate your experience and I hear you and just reassuring that they're heard but not trying to then I remember one time I was saying <laughs> oh yeah like my my dad passed away two years ago so I was saying oh my father passed away and this person who meant so well said oh I know what you I know what you mean I know what you're going through my dog passed away as well and I was like oh okay just different. a bit different, a bit different here. <laughs> Father of 20 years, dog of seven years, mm. dog can't speak. I get that there's a connection there, but let's not just try and say anything to be wow. relatable. And I literally was like, um, a bit different. <laughs> and they were like, oh my God, different. I can't believe I just did that. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, like it would have just been better if you said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Wow. And I couldn't imagine. Because you can't imagine a dog and a dad is completely different to mm. each other. So it's like, I can't be like, oh, speaking to you, I have male privilege. I can't imagine being fearful walking down the road at night by myself or mm. going to a bar and there are a bunch of creepy guys staring at you. I can relate in a different context, but I will not know how that feels because when I'm walking down a street as a man... I'm probably going to be more safe and less targeted as if I were a woman because that's just the society we live in, unfortunately. Mm. But I acknowledge the male privilege that I have that when I do walk at night and there's a woman walking, walking towards me, I make the effort to cross the road so that she can feel comfortable walking home. I, I don't... I can relate in some aspects but I'm not going to compare our experiences because they're completely different mm. and there are like like you say about society pressuring you and other women to have babies I know that that's a pressure and I never say oh when is it your time or like TikTok like oh people gosh. do that all the time yeah. and people just say like oh you're next like no I don't want to be next like or people would say oh it's like I don't know, just pressuring women to just get on with it. And assumptions yeah. that you even want kids. Yeah. Like, that is not correct. And I know, I've known that there are other things that I 
know that are rooted in misogyny, like calling women girls. And that's something I'm very like passionate about calling out. When someone says, oh, I was talking to this, this girl. I'm like, was she 17 or 18? If so, yes. Like the girl that said her dog passed away, she was 17 or 18, which is young. But then like when we're speaking about 28 year olds, they're not girls, they're women. Let's use the right terminologies mm-hmm. because you just say, oh, this man. You don't say this boy. I mean, I do sometimes when 30-year-olds act like boys. I say they're boys. <laughs> but, like, it's all around language and hearing experiences. And, like, I there's a party in Auckland called Filth that is prioritizing trans people and people of color. And I know that when I enter that space, it's not about me. Because I am a cis gay man, which is, if I was straight, done. Like, I would be completely, I would ease into society a lot easier. And now being a cis gay man is just as similar. Like, it's honestly, like, it used to be a big deal now, and being gay now is nothing, like, compared to being trans. So when I go to spaces like that, I like to just keep to my corner I don't touch anyone I don't look I don't film I don't Mm. stare I just exist and let these people have their space because that's their space I don't come in and chime in and try to be involved in everything this is not my area to be taking up space but I would like to enjoy this space with you that's it it's like this is your space I'm just here to enjoy it because it's a beautiful space Mm. and It's like if you invited me into your living room and it's this beautiful living room, I'm not going to jump on the table. I'm not going to mess up your pillows. I'm not going to play really loud music. I'm just going to sit here and be like, wow, this is beautiful. Mm. Congratulations. This is so special. I'm so happy for you that you have this. I'm just going to sit, observe, enjoy it because this is your house. I'm just here visiting. That's how people should navigate queer and spaces that they quote unquote don't belong in. But you're welcome. Like I went to a party in New York called Bubble Tea, which is a place where Asians rule, but everyone is welcome. Mm. So it's a party for Asian people, queer, straight, doesn't matter. As long as you're Asian, this is for you. But all is welcome, knowing that this is a space where Asians rule. Everyone can come in and have fun. There's a lot of like parties like that in New York. There's one called Puppy Juice, which is the same for the Latinx community where it all is welcome, but know that this space is not for you. It's for someone else, but you can come and enjoy it with us. Mm. It's like having a table and saying you can come and eat with us, a seat at the table, like you are one with us because we're all human, Mm. but this is not your time. Your time has been, your time is every day. Like you can walk around and it's your time with like white and straight people. It's like, Everywhere is your space. When we have these little bubbles for us, let us have these things like gay bars. I get it. We're fun. We party and we're a great time. But like, don't bring your big hens parties because you feel safe with us that attract these sleazy straight guys that want to get with all these women that are now at the gay bars. And it's just like, can we have this? You could go anywhere else. Mm. But then let's have a conversation about how why are these men being sleazy and not understanding consent and not letting women just exist and 
have fun. Can women not just go out as a group and just chill out without a guy being creepy and like, let's have that conversation. (laughs) Like, we it it all comes down to, we can have our own spaces just respect each other Hmm. like i think we should normalize bars where only women can go to i love that imagine how safe you would feel just partying with a bunch of your gals and then we the gays can have our own thing and then everyone just can come together Hmm. if you get along and go to a separate gig but just leave people alone and stop harassing women it's Pass. It's 2022. Absolutely. And we're still grabbing women unconsensually. Like, hello. What world do we live in where we can just touch people without saying, hey, do you want to be touched there? It blows my mind. Like, sometimes Mm. I watch... I was at a party on Saturday and I watched this guy fully grope this woman and I was like, I hope he knows her. (laughs) But even then, out of nowhere, in public, why are you doing this? Like It's because it all stems from the education system, mm-hmm. doesn't it? And it so everyone does. that's roaming around in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and whatnot, whatnot. Yeah. they've all just been conditioned in a certain way and mm-hmm. they've been taught from their family and their family before them. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> It really is. And that's why you need to diversify the people that you hang out with. Because yeah, having totally. someone like you in a friend group saying oh that was actually really misogynistic and you didn't even realize it i'm gonna hold you accountable because you shouldn't say whatever Mm. like whatever the person said and then that person hopefully if they're a good friend and mature and smart can say oh my gosh that was really not cool and i really am sorry and i will make the effort to not do that again there are things that i get told that i'm like One time I was speaking about getting my sexual health checks and I said, yep, I got tested and everything, I'm clean. And then the guy that I was with who works at um, ending HIV said, actually, we don't use the term clean. And I was like, oh Oh, my gosh, I didn't even think. And he said, obviously, that implies that having anything means you're dirty. And that Mm. is a huge, like stereotype in the people that are HIV positive is that they're dirty Mm. and that when you say you're clean you're implying someone else is not and I was so not shocked because of course like the language that we use of course that's what it implies and I said I'm so sorry and now I've never said that ever again and I've said oh yep everything's come back negative or if oh yep this has come back positive it's just how you use your words but when if I didn't have that person calling me out I would still be at the age of 22 running around saying I'm clean I'm clean and implying people are dirty Mm. like you need those people around you that hold you accountable but in a fair way like if you've done something horrible just like if I've done something really tone deaf I would hope my friends would say what is going on why would you say that tell me like obviously you must be going through something that led you to lash out or to use that terminology and again it comes back to having people that are in your friend group that are willing to hold you accountable Mm. because if you went to school together and I I went to an all-boys boarding school and the boys around me oh the things that they would say would be would blow my mind today but the things back then that was all I knew 
that was the people I lived with for seven days a week. And I'd like see them all the time. And we slept in the same room for two years, 16 of us. So we became, quote, brothers. And they tried to say, these are your brothers. These are the people you're going to leave school with and be best friends with forever. And by the age of 17 and 18, I was friends with about two of those people because I did not resonate with the way that they moved through the world and the the words that they were using or the ways that they were thinking. So mm. then I ostracized myself on purpose because I didn't want to be in that group. And they all still hang out and they're all still uh, as problematic as they were and they don't even know it because one another won't even... They won't call one another out and say, hey, that's not cool. And, like, the boys will be boys thing is just... That was the school I went to, and that was honestly their motto. Like, oh, that's you're a boy, you can do that. Boys will be boys. Like, oh, you can treat women shit? That's fine, that's what boys do. Like, it was just so enabling, and I would... There were, like, chants that we would do at games that were so misogynistic and so homophobic, and I would sit down as, like, a silent protester. I would. They would all stand up and chant these ridiculous things and I would sit down and then they would look at me like I was crazy they'd say oh my god you don't have any school pride and you don't have any camaraderie and you need to get up and chant with us and I was like do you hear yourself do you hear what you're chanting do you hear how misogynistic this is and how even the because at Kings they allowed girls in from the age of like I think it was 17, like year 11 to year 13. And even them being in such a misogynistic and boisterous school, they dealt with a lot of internalized misogyny. And now they're carrying that into the world where I remember hearing my girlfriends in school saying they thought armpit hair was disgusting and they would never support a brand that showed a woman with armpit hair or that they would never be friends with lesbians because they'd be scared that they would try and hook up with them or they would never breastfeed in public because that's disgusting and I'm like what are these men or your fathers telling you and your mothers because now you're all enabling one another into this misogynistic mindset why are you how do you not see that this is wrong and Mm. then by year 13 I was friends with honestly two people in school because I couldn't stand anyone and I was skipping class to go hang out with like my best friends from outside of school and like staying at my friend he lived alone in parliament street in the city and we would just crash at his and hang out at his because i had outgrown that mindset and that place so i needed something else and that's when i started going to gay bars and started exploring myself and then like having sex and just trying new things and seeing what i liked and i think the people that I went to school with had no interest in that and they were very comfortable in the binary straight like ways and it was very it's very interesting now being out of school for five years there are so many of those boys that have now come out and there are so many of those Mm. boys when I went to school with them that are now trans women like there are people that just came out because they got out of this institution that was trying to mold them a certain way And I remember my housemaster, who I really appreciate, and I think my time there was made pleasant because of him. He 
never pushed me to do anything I didn't want to do because he knew I wasn't going to do it. He would ask for transparent advice, like, hey, there's this boy in year nine who's gay and he's been really upset. Can you speak to him? What do I do? Asking questions and wanting to make these kids' experiences better. Mm. He once sat down with me and said, you know what, you turned out exactly how they didn't want you to turn out and look at you. And I was like, I'm happy. I'm doing what I love. I'm mm. not wasted in Dunedin doing funnels and doing whatnot in <laughs> disgusting flats. Like I turned out exactly how they didn't want me to and I couldn't be happier. And mm. I think dad was quite, he sent me to that school because he went there and he loved it and he turned out as a scientist and he was like I had a great time there you're going to as well and I was like you had a great time there because you weren't queer yeah and as a queer person going to such a heteronormative and homophobic place had I not had my three gay best friends I would have been a shell of a human being like you find your people Mm. and thankfully I had those people because it made my all boys boarding school experience way easier and some of the women that I became friends with through Kings. Oh, I mean, through... I mean, you've said it a couple of I times. Mean, we, oh, can, we, I? Can, we can blooper it out. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's not like it's a secret where I went to school <laughs> at this point. I've called them out multiple times. Um, like, let's be real. The school has been rooted in misogyny since forever, and it's such a traditional school that we have allowed it to let these traditions stay and sorry traditions can't be here forever because the world changes we can't just think of this rigid way that we used to live where it was all monogamous and it was all before marriage and whatnot like was so bad and you can't have a kid out of wedlock like can't be gay like the world is changing and tradition has to just change yeah because you're going to be stuck and you're going to be Like, we're entering a new era, and either come with us, or get left behind and Mm. see how fun that is. Absolutely, and that just comes straight back to the point of, like, you just need to sit in the discomfort Mm -hmm. and and own up to (laughs) how fucked everything has been up until this point. I'm so sorry my generation has handed down this shitty world where we didn't care about the planet as much as you guys do, Mm. and unfortunately we've gone way past the point of return, and... Oopsies. Whoops. Like, you're not going to deny it. <laughs> Just sit in the discomfort, take accountability, and move on. Amen. Amen, Rob. <laughs> Interrupting this delicious conversation with some finger food for thought. Being the object of someone's desire is one thing. It's flattering, empowering, and reaffirming. But being the object of someone's desire purely because of the colour of your skin, your height, size, or sexual orientation is another. Fetishization. Have you heard of it? Have you been fetishized? A sexual fascination with things not inherently sexual, like race, gender, sexuality, or body type. Unsolicited fetishization reduces people to a certain characteristic and can be profoundly dehumanizing to those who experience it. Our presenting partner Bumble's research shows Kiwis lack an understanding of what fetishization is. The dating app, where women make the first move, surveyed its users and found that only 4 in 10 single Kiwis have a clear understanding of fetishization. This means more than half of us don't quite know what it is, 
and don't recognise it when it's happening. So perhaps next time you're out to dinner with friends, or on a hot date, slip it into the combo. Let's bring awareness to fetishisation so that we can create safer spaces for everybody. Um, I do have a question around your your coming out and when that happened and, and what, did that happen while you were at King's or earlier on and what was the sort of um, reaction or um, understanding from your family and from your peers at school? I came out Well, my first two years, I was very much wanting to be straight and dated girls and did whatnot to be like, I like this, this is normal, let's fit in. And doing it probably too much that it, to try and convince myself that this was the life I was going to live. And it didn't work out like... I wasn't actually that into it or I would get really anxious and nervous and panic and just be like, why is it like to cut to the chase? I just wasn't getting hard. And I was like, what is going on? Like I would have to run to the bathroom and be like, come on, wake up, wake up, let's go. And then I'd just then be like, I'm tired. Or like, and it just kept happening and clearly something wasn't Mm. right. And then I started to... So what age was that? 16. Okay. And before then I was getting just like kissing and whatnot. But like 16 was when I was really like, okay, this is clearly not working. Everything that you've tried to push away in the back of your head for the last 16 years, it's... You're gay. Like, you're... You like guys. Let's explore that. Mm. And it was a lot because I was... I was homophobic because I was defensive and scared that anyone would figure me out. And once I came out, I then was 16, so very young, Mm. and exploring and navigating this very cis and binary um, space where then I became against femininity and, oh, I'm gay, but I would never paint my nails or I would never get earrings and then grew up and realized what nonsense I was speaking and that I then started painting my nails and wearing dresses and doing whatnot because I had to do that to explore different facets of myself to realize that I don't really like wearing nail polish because I don't like the colors or whatever just like expressing myself and learning what I liked and didn't like and then that delved into gender And I went to Melbourne and Sydney and I saw how trans people were living and non-binary people. And then I realized you are a trans woman. You're very feminine presenting, but I'm still into you. Okay, cool. Same with trans men. I'd get with trans men and be like, I'm just into you, attracted to you and everything is working and we're having an amazing time. And then I, it clicked that I am predominantly gay. Like, I enjoy more masculine, what society deems as masculine, traits. So, Mm -hmm. like, I I like personality types. I like a more dominant personality type because I am more, like, submissive and I like to be submissive in bed but very dominant outside. Like, I'm very difficult and I'm stubborn. So I'm into people that are 
more carefree outside of bed, but then in bed they're more assertive and take more control. And then I realized that that can happen with anyone regardless of gender. And that, yes, I am, like, to make things easier, I would just identify as gay. Mm -hmm. But at the core and the root of it, I would say I was pansexual and just into people and attracted to energy and there are people that I meet that I'm like oh wow you really tick all the boxes and you really turn me on and it regardless of what your genitalia is if you're into it and I'm into it let's have fun let's hang out let's date let's whatnot and then like that's what I would have told my younger self if I could look back I would say Hmm. you're on a journey never say never and just when you grow up, you're just going to learn that people are beautiful and the body is just can come in so many different forms and you can learn to love. Like I don't have a, when I was younger, I thought I was into this muscly and lean and white guy. And as I've grown up, I realized I don't have a body preference. I don't have a race preference. I don't have a gender preference. As long as you are respectful and have the sex appeal and have chemistry and you're confident, I'm into you regardless of anything. Like some guys I'll show my friends and they'll be like, oh no, I would never go for that person. I'm like, wait till you meet them. And then you meet them and then they're like, oh yeah, I completely get it. And I'm like, see these assumptions and these like preconceived notions that you carry, you need to get rid of those and take people for what they are face to face. And I think that would really save a lot of people in like this troubled dating world where they think oh I need this type of man like let go of that and the person's going to come to you and then you're going to be probably pleasantly surprised because it was someone you never expected to fall for Mm, yes (laughs) I love that and I love that piece around sexuality being like a Mm. spectrum Mm -hmm. and that you know you started off in your younger years, pre sixteen, thinking you were Very straight, straight. Yeah. and then you were like, "Okay, no, I'm gay." Yeah, and then you were like, "Oh, actually, like, you know, I do identify as being gay, but mm. also, I'm actually just really attracted to people's mm-hmm. like the energy of a human mm-hmm. being, and mm-hmm. like, you know, perhaps I'm pansexual, and yeah. just that 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 in itself is ever evolving, and it's so beautiful to have that like freedom to mm-hmm. be able to explore and actually just like connect and relate with other human beings on a very like human level yeah I think I say gay because it's easiest and it's what I know and have known for the longest but like I think maybe there is hesitation between fully just coming out as pan because I don't think I know enough or have experienced enough but then regardless of my experience my sexuality I can choose to identify as whatever because being attracted to whoever makes you pansexual and that's just the label I fit in but then when you're trying to not be in this like labeled world Mm. I just prefer and I know I know a lot of queer people would prefer to just identify as queer because queer is an umbrella term it used to be a slur and now it's a umbrella term to mean everything queer and gender and queer and sexuality like I'm queer aka I just like people and I'm attracted to a specific vibe. Like I'm picky as a person with energy. I don't care how you look, 
Well, I, yeah. I mean, obviously, superficially, I, there has to be a mutual attraction. Mm. But at the core, it's all about energy and personality. And how corny is that? Oh my god, it's all about personality. No, but it really is. Like, it is all about like you could look a certain way, and I might not be into you when I first see you. But then when I meet you, and you have this amazing personality and chemistry, I'm gonna be head over heels for it. Like, it's. When you grow up, I think you realize to just put those things aside,、mm. and that at the end of the day, we're all gonna age, and aging is beautiful, and getting older is a beautiful experience that we shouldn't fear. And sex life continues once you get older, and people think you just shrivel up and never have sex again, and that's completely far from the truth.、Mm. Because I've heard stories that happen in. Retirement villages, like. I mean, apparently that's where the highest like STI. Yeah, because everyone is <laughs> fucking everyone. Yeah, <laughs> and like, just do it. Get it. <laughs> Maybe、nice. use protection,、Alex. but do it. Have fun. <laughs> like, I think we just need to. At the end of the day, do you want someone that's going to make you laugh till your belly hurts when you're sixty, or someone that was hot but doesn't really bring anything else to your life?、Mm. Like, I'd I don't care. How you look now, because we're all going to age, and hopefully I age beautifully. But if I don't, I'm still going to have a great personality, and I'm going to be funny. That's You're it. Age beautifully. <laughs> don't worry about、so. that. I hope so. I hope so. You're on the right track. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you've kind of covered the the piece around like what you'd want to tell your younger、mm. self, but this is an interesting question around just like. If there's one thing that you could tell your sort of child self or your your virgin self,、mm, mm-hmm. um, knowing what you know now and being in、mm. this place of like Rob wisdom at twenty two, twenty two, yeah, <laughs> whoa, twenty <laughs> two, what、yeah. would you tell yourself? Um, I have a lot. I would tell myself. I would say, take your time. There's no rush. Sex is going to be there for the rest of your life. I don't subscribe to the waiting for the special someone because your first is just going to be your first, regardless of who it is. Because it could be the special someone that you break up with in a week. And virginity is this concept that we hold on to, that's also rooted in misogyny, where we hold on to this, and you're a virgin, and it's so much. It's creepy, it, first of all, to like want to take someone's virginity and like the whole concept of keeping it so sacred. Like, for who? For a man? Okay,、mm. that's think about that and how strange and weird that is. And why don't men value their virginity as much as women do? But for me, I was like, I don't. Yeah, I don't need to wait for a special someone. And virginity, it's going to happen. Who cares? Like, if it's special, it's special. If it's not, it's not. But looking back, I would have preferred to wait and just not. What I would tell my younger self is to not go on grinder and dating apps because,、mm. like, in the gay world, being young is very、um, fetishized, and the gay community. Not the gay community, but there are certain people that value that youngness way more. And in 
a really creepy and pedophilic way in mm. a way that they excuse pedophilia and grooming so when I was 16 there would be much older guys being nice to me and saying whatnot and it was just not I was not I wouldn't say smart enough to realize I was being groomed but I had a lot of people that were around me that would also be going through the same thing and realizing guys were just saying things to get what they wanted out of you and I think that is a horrible space to have to navigate at 16 without the guidance of a parent or a counselor or an, an older queer person that wasn't trying to take advantage of you so I would have said to stay off the apps and just be a kid like you're mm. 16 like what is the Russian losing your virginity or having sex with complete strangers because at the time you're not really having actual sex you're 16 you don't even know how gay sex really works because you're being taught it from porn which is completely different to the reality you don't know I'm about I'm about to get like TMI or deep but like you don't know the ins and outs of like douching and cleaning yourself and you don't know how it can be very painful and you don't know how to relax or you don't know what is going to feel good it doesn't feel good for the first like handful of times because it's a very uncomfortable and new experience that you, why rush it I didn't have good sex until I was about 19 mm. and that was with a partner that I was with for like six months but that was the first time I was like wow this is the only time I have had really pleasant sex with someone else so what was I doing for those two or three other years of being 16, 17, 18, just like what not, made, not really understanding. What made that, that sex with that partner when you reached that point of having like actual pleasurable sex? Like what was it about that relationship that made it I think it was it just good? like the intimacy was just so powerful and the level of trust that we had in one another and the transparency and what we liked and the communication with what we liked and didn't like I think it's hard to navigate when it's a one night stand or a drunk hookup like you can't be like we well, can I do now but back then being a bottom was just I was I had a very interesting way of viewing sex that I learned from porn and the bottom was just there to pleasure the top just like how in heteronormative relationships or heterosexual relationships the man sex is done when he's done and when you grow up and realize that we're obviously in this together and we're here to have a good time together I started to then be way more demanding in what I needed in bed to enjoy myself and that's mm. how I was comfortable enough to tell my partner hey it doesn't just end when you end and it doesn't have to end because sex is non-linear we could do this for like hours and no one has to finish mm. or we could do this for five minutes and we both finish and it's like it doesn't have to be this rigid okay first you kiss then you give head well then you only give head to the top or the man and then he has sex with you and then he's done and then it's done no mm -mm. we kiss we kiss again we kiss forever like i could kiss for yes. days and then we cuddle and you do this to me and I do that to you and then you go back to doing this to me and we do it at the same time. We chill, we kiss, we 
pee, we grab a drink of water, mm. and then we come back. Like it's just as I grew up, I realized how much more enjoyable and yeah, just like easy it could be if we just didn't rush. Like I think we too often we rush, and that's what I would have told my younger self is to just take your time, don't rush it, don't just be having random hookups with these like guys that don't actually care about you like have a better judgment of tops and what they want mm. and soon you'll realize what you need from a partner and sex so you'll get there but you're gonna have to go kiss some frogs before you find the one that really ticks the box and I think now it's yeah I've completely done a full 180 and I'm so confident in what I like probably too confident in what I like because now I'm just like way too direct and <laughs> like forward with what I need but I think that to me that is sexy if someone can tell me what you want and what you like and I can do that for you game on oh. like it is the hottest thing ever when they enjoy making you feel good and that's like where it all comes down to for me is I will love this experience if you're loving this mm. like the reassurance that someone can give you when you're when they say oh my god that feels amazing or like keep doing that and you're like you feel like you've just gotten like a little sticker like a little brownie yes. point like you did well it's like shouldn't you want to please your partner and explore each other's bodies to find out what we all like mm. yeah that's what I would tell my youngest I oh. love that so basically <laughs> slow the fuck down yeah. and stay off the name apps. your desires yeah. stay off the apps yeah. and communicate and yeah take and it like tell slow. be more transparent with your friends and not keep everything a secret and mm. like we were very secretive me and my gay friends of our like sex lives because we didn't we weren't brought up in a way where we could speak openly about these things so I would say, your friends are doing it as well. Have full discussions with them and you'll probably get to the root of the issues faster with three other gays that love you and also are dealing with the same things. Mm. So I think, yeah, having them really saved me and we navigated a lot together because at that age it's you're so vulnerable and you don't know anything and that people can just take advantage of you and toss you to the side and block you and ghost you like ghosting mm. at the age of 16 is the most horrible oh thing to go through because you're worthless you don't even deserve an explanation you are disregarded that easily and at the age of 16 that can be traumatizing to someone that's why i'm so against ghosting as an adult I oh, thank you owe you for naming that. <laughs> like I owe you an explanation I um, I appreciate the time that we had you it just wasn't for me and that's completely fine I think you're a great person I just didn't feel anything and I think moving forward if I see you I'll say hi but I think if there is a lack of communication just be transparent and let each mm. other know that it just wasn't for you and that you're sorry it didn't work out, but it's just how it is. I don't think the blocking, the stop talking, the not replying, and the like 
just complete disregard of one another's feelings is a mature thing to do. It's horrible. Like, because then you're leaving someone hanging. Like, they, if they respected you enough to come meet you on this date or to have sex with you, you should respect them enough to explain why you no longer want to be in communications with them. Mm. Like, we're obviously very accessible in this day and age. And when we're not, it's a panic that we have. And that's because of the world that we live in, where everything is so instant and so fast that when you don't get something, you have time to think of, why aren't they replying? Maybe they didn't like this. Maybe I had said the wrong thing. And telling me is going to really save me because I'm going to really appreciate that you were open enough and upfront enough to say, hey, I didn't like this or hey, I just wasn't feeling it. Like the other day I went on a date and it just wasn't going. Like it just wasn't working. And I we went home separately and I got home and I explained that I had a really nice time and the experience was good, but I just don't think we connected on a deeper level or on a sexual level and that I probably just... Yeah, we're not the right match, and that's completely fine. And luckily he was, most of the time, when you ghost... For me, it's like a mutual ghosting. Not ghosting, but we just kind of both agreed that it wasn't what we were looking for, and that's completely fine, and we move our own separate ways, and that's communication. Because now I know that. that we both agree, and we're both on the same terms, and now I don't feel weird, or I don't feel hurt. Ugh. Yes, Rob. <laughs> this is like my favorite piece of thing because I feel You're passionate so about passionate yeah. about communicating. Yeah. And whether it's a one night stand or whether it's um, you know, a long term mm-hmm. relationship, mm-hmm. like the truth will set you free. 100%. And like it creates so much safety for everybody that is in participating in the mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. And it also like like you were saying, this piece around being ghosted, it's mm. like it triggers so much around like unworthiness and Mm -hmm. like being disrespected and insignificant and like all of these feelings come up when you're just like waiting for a text Mm -hmm. from someone. And Mm -hmm. if someone was just like, Hey, look, like I really like had a really nice time with you, but I'm not interested in taking Mm -hmm. this any further. And like, I, you know, have a beautiful Mm. week. Mm. And if I see Mm -hmm. you out, Mm -hmm. I'll wave kind of thing. And you'd just be like, Oh, you know, that sucks. But Sweet Addis, I'm going to get on ghosted. with my Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to get on with my life and like onwards and upwards. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I just think there's so much power in that. Yeah, I'd rather be hurt for a short period right now than to wait a week and then have my crazy brain make up scenarios on why I'm not getting a text back. Like, don't torture people. It's not nice. It's not nice. Just let them down now because they're going to appreciate that in the long run and it's hard for people to speak up and 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 and, you know like like bring in that sort of rejection piece but actually that's a really beautiful learning within itself and Mm. it's like we can't all fucking be people pleasers all Mm -hmm, the time and mm -hmm. like you're being so much kinder Mm. like speaking the truth than you are being a people pleaser and not saying anything at all Mm -hmm. um yeah beautiful okay well we've got a I've got to wrap it up. I could literally speak to you forever and ever yeah. and ever. <laughs> Good thing we're going for a drive together on Friday. Thank 
God, I have more time with you. Um, But final question. Very important question. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite finger food? So I knew this question was coming and I thought long and hard on the drive. And I think olives. So good. So great in everything. Pasta, pizza, but on its own, just that little, like, use your little toothpick, roll it around in your your mouth until it's just the seed left, spit it out. Honestly, I could have them every day. I love that. And I only discovered them about a year ago. Amazing. And now I'm just like, I had it last night for dinner. Ugh. And my pasta. And it's a a must-have at any date because gives you something to chew on gives you a little break to stop speaking gives you something to talk about like now we're talking about olives <laughs> and your journey with olives and how you just started and liking I just olives i love them now i love that that's beautiful thank Yay. you <laughs> one thing that i learned about olives recently mm. is that you one of um my dear friend sophie gilmore who's a culinary artiste Ooh. basically taught me if you've got olives in the fridge and mm. you've got people coming around for dinner mm. You got a date coming. Mm. You put the olives that are in the fridge in a pan with like really good olive oil, maybe oh, like a, oh. a like a zest of lemon, maybe a whole chili, maybe uh-huh. like a sprig of rosemary, maybe a whole garlic, yep. and then just like toss the <gasps> fridge refrigerated olives right. in the delicious like infused yes, oil. Yes, yes. Serve them warm with all the bits, and it's just like a whole extra. I'm into it. Sexy situation for your olives. Yeah, I, w- I went on a date and they gave us these like olives that were kind of like raisined not mm, raisined but I know like dry exactly. and I was like this is lit like I did not expect this to be so good and it had so like good. chili flakes oh so good Amazing. thank you for having me thank you this so was much so fun. Oh, I'm honoured I can't wait to listen to the rest oh, alright my darling wow love you love you Mwah. Thanks for dining with Finger Food, empowered by Bumble. If you liked this conversation, you can tip your maitre d' by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this podcast with your friends. If you want to find more of my podcasts, go to stacyogorman.com. Stay safe, stay sexy. See you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.